Well, good evening once again, Clifford Baptist Church. Thank you for joining me for Bible study on Wednesday, May 6th. It's hard to believe that we're already in the month of May. Uh, but thank you for being a consistent class as we have opened God's Word together. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time tonight, we're working on a study that began in Genesis, will end us up in Revelation, just the mountaintop study of the thread that runs throughout the Bible, the thread of God's love, God's grace, God's Word. And I'm grateful that we join together on this Wednesday evening uh, to study His Word. So as we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Our Lord, our God, thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for the ministry of Clifford Baptist Church. I pray that you will continue to teach us, Lord, that no matter what might come in this world, Father, that the church is always the church. We're always charged to be ministers of a living Savior. And so, Lord, thank you tonight that we want to recharge our spiritual batteries by opening your word, Father, and having you speak to us. Father, thank you for the love letter of the Bible. Uh, thank you for its truthfulness. Thank you, Lord, that it is the raw truth and the true word of God. And, Lord, we thank you that we see human lives encapsulated here, the good and the bad. Uh, but, Father, it is by your grace that all of us are forgiven and given life. And so, Lord, tonight, thank you that as we study the truths of your word, that you are here to teach us and to guide us as we study. Father, I pray that you will bless each student as they join us tonight. And as they watch this, perhaps in days ahead, Lord, but we pray that you will just help us to have a, a true respect for your word. It is the inerrant word of God. It is without error. And so as we open it, Lord, we know that your truth uh, will be taught to us. Father, I pray that you will take over this class tonight and that you truly will use me as you are the teacher of the class. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and I'm grateful for everyone who joins us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we get started tonight, as we are moving on into lesson number 12, uh, let me back up and get us all on the same page as we open God's Word together. As I take you back to Genesis for just a moment, we spent nine lessons in Genesis, but uh, I want to take you back there for just a moment to set the stage. If you remember, God created the universe, and also God created a family. God created the family of Israel, the Jewish family, to be the chosen people, his special people of grace. And that family began with a man whose name is Abraham, his wife Sarah, and the son that God gave to them in their old age, whose name was Isaac. But if you remember, God gave Abraham many promises to be fulfilled. And so much of what we see happening in the Bible rests back in Genesis on the promises that God made to Abraham. We're thinking about the Exodus and the people of God being in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. But I want you to know that God told Abraham that was going to happen. Write this reference down as we get started tonight. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Back at the beginning of the family of Israel, this is what God said to Abraham. Genesis 15, 13. God said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them... And they shall afflict them 400 years. So long, long before the, the stretch of the family begins to come, God says to the 
progenitor to the first of the family, Abraham. The day is coming when your family is going to be held captives in a foreign land. It doesn't belong to them, but they're going to be slaves there for 400 years. And that is exactly what happened. Israel, of course, came into Egypt under Joseph's rule, and they lived in relative luxury there. But after Joseph died... They were turned into slaves, and they lived in slavery under hard labor in Egypt. But through ten plagues from God, uh, the last being the death of the firstborn males of Egypt, God freed His people Israel out of Egyptian captivity and out of Egyptian slavery. And so tonight, as we move into lesson number 12, uh, the overall section that we're in right now is the Exodus and the entry into the promised land. Now, as we concluded the last lesson last week, which was lesson number 11, uh, Israel had been released from slavery because of those plagues that came upon Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. If you remember, Egypt and the chariots and the soldiers were chasing them, and God opened the waters of the Red Sea. They went across, all two million of those Israelites, and once they got across and the army was charging after them, the sea closed in and took up all of the army and took them uh, away from Israel in death. Uh, so God had freed his people truly. Uh, if you remember, as they are traveling now in the wilderness, in the desert, headed toward a land that God had promised to Father Abraham, as they are now out of the Red Sea, moving into the wilderness, moving toward their promised land of Canaan, they are traveling, and with them is going God's word, God's blessing, and, and the promises of God. And God had given them Ten Commandments. If you remember, God spoke Ten Commandments to His people Israel, then wrote them down on stone tablets. He had also given them specific instructions about a movable place of worship. As Israel traveled through the desert of the wilderness, they were carrying the tabernacle of God with them. And every time they stopped for an encampment, they set up the tabernacle of God so that they would have a place to worship there. In fact, the, the word tabernacle in Hebrew is mishkan, and that Hebrew word means the dwelling place or the residence of God. So as they set up the tabernacle in their wilderness wanderings, God met them there. Uh, now, as they set up the tabernacle, it was basically a tent. It was movable, but it was a holy place in the encampment of Israel. It had a, a courtyard. It had an entryway into the tent. But in the midst of the tent, there was a very thick veil, a very thick curtain that separated one room of the tent from all of Israel. That room was called the Holy of Holies. In that room, the holiest object that Israel had was the Ark of the Covenant, a golden box God had given them the instructions to build this box roughly four feet by two feet by two feet. They carried it with wooden staves. Inside of that box were three precious items, the Ten Commandments of God written on the tables of stone, uh, Aaron's rod of priestly authority, and a jar of manna by which God fed Israel within the wilderness. But the veil... The veil is very important in the tabernacle, a very thick curtain that separated Israel from the Holy of Holies. Why is that? The Holy of Holies is God's residence. This is where God is found with the Ark of the Covenant. But 
Israel's sin had kept them from seeing the holiness and righteousness of God. So that curtain separated God from Israel because of Israel's sin. But I remind you of this, and here's a part of that thread that runs through the Bible. The moment that Jesus died on the cross, the moment Jesus gave up the ghost and said it is finished and died on the cross, Matthew chapter 27, Mark chapter 15, Luke chapter 23 says that veil, that thick curtain in the temple was torn in two as God revealed the holiness of God to the people because of his very son Jesus who gave his life that we might be forgiven of our sin. All of the sheep and bulls and goats of the past in Israel's sacrificial system could not atone for sin, but only the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, who died on the cross he then revealed the holiness and righteousness of God to the people and so the the veil the curtain was torn in two to reveal the righteousness of God to his people now in Genesis chapter 15 we're moving back uh, God telling Abraham that for 400 years or 400 generations or four generations of people uh, Israel were, was going to be slavery in Egypt but as they were released from that slavery they would step into the wilderness and they would wander for a time and as it came out they would wander for a long long time the actual trip from Egypt to the promised land has been calculated to be 11 days on foot. By simple calculation, the Israelites should have been able to travel from the shores of the Red Sea, coming into the wilderness, to the edge of the promised land in 11 days. The actual trip would have taken that long, but they wandered 40 years. Why is that? There's a reason that the trip extended from 11 days to 40 years. The answer is very easy, very simple. In general, the majority of the Israelites lacked faith in following God daily. They lacked faith in believing in God's provision. They lacked faith in trusting God to lead them. Although he had miraculously uh, released them from slavery in Egypt, though he had provided a supreme leader in the man of Moses, though he had provided for them on the trip, feeding them with manna, giving them water, giving them provision at every turn of their lives, the general population of the Israelites would not believe God and wanted to fuss and murmur against God and against Moses on their trip. They were saying, we want to go back to the fancy food of Egypt. We're sick of this manna that God feeds us day after day. We're tired of eating the same old thing. We wish we could go back. We don't mind going back into slavery just so we could get a good meal every now and then. Uh, it's amazing. They would, they would complain because they were thirsty. They would complain because of the weather. They would complain because of their provision. It's an amazing cycle. God provides for them. Now remember, he's providing for two million people. It may have grown in this trip to two and a half million. But for, for provision for over two million Israelites, and they're grateful for a little bit. But then they enter this cycle where they begin to distrust God and lose their faith 
and we see them lapse back into this doubting God and doubting the leadership of Moses. And we see this account of their yo-yo faith over and over again. Now, one of the things I'm going to tell you at this juncture of our study is if you're serious about studying with me through these days, you need to take some notes. You will never, never be able to remember all of the facts and figures and Scripture that I'm going to give you. Please take down some of the notes that I'm going to give to you. Uh, on our website, there is that blank sheet that uh, we provide that you can take some notes. But get something and take a few notes and write down some Scripture verses so you can go back and restudy this when our study is done. But here's what I want you to know. The yo-yo faith, up and down faith of Israel is accounted for in Exodus chapters 16 through 18. Write that down. Exodus chapter 16 through 18 is the major account of how Israel's faith Israel's trust went up and down. They would trust for a while, then they would lose it. Then they would trust again, then they would lose it. And it was just a, a bad cycle that they got in. They, they, they went from faith to being faithless. They went from trust to complaining. Uh, they, they, just, uh, they just complained to God so very often. And God punishes them because they are such complainers that he allows them to remain lost out there in the wilderness. He never left their side, but he didn't get them into the promised land because of their faithlessness, because of their complaining. Okay, now, once again, I remind you that the Bible is not in chronological order. Uh, it would be easy for us to study if it were in A, B, C, D order, if it was placed in order by every year passing by. But it's, it's not that way. God has put it in the order in which we have it for a particular reason. And I believe one of the reasons is that we will be faithful to study it. But we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And tonight we're going to move into the book of Numbers. So I want you to take your Bible and open your Bible with me there. And I want you to write this down. This is a very, very important point that you cannot miss in this stage of our study. Here's the point. Remember, I just told you that Exodus chapter 16 through 18 recounts the up and down faith and faithlessness of Israel. The book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, is talking about that same period of history. So the entire book of Numbers is recounting exactly what is talked about in Exodus chapter 16 through 18. I know that can be rather confusing. That's why I want you to write it down so it doesn't escape your memory. Exodus 16 through 18 is the same uh, time of, of uh, history as the book of Numbers. That's important to remember. So the book of Numbers is the entire story of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That's what the book of Numbers is about. That may be a fact that many, maybe most of us, do not know, but that's what the entire book of Numbers in your Old Testament is about. It's a recounting of the 40 years of wandering that, that Israel went through in the wilderness. Now, I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. As you get there, I do remind you that when you read these accounts in Numbers, it is amazing how the Israel complained, how they were rebellious, how they had some ridiculous behavior as the people of God. But I want you to look at Numbers chapter 11 with me for a taste of what God was putting up with uh, in the faithlessness of these people who were his chosen. 
Look at Numbers 11. Look at verses 1 through 6. Listen to these words, and you'll hear a little bit of what God is dealing with. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? In other words, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. So God is faithfully feeding them day after day on this heavenly food called manna. And they're saying, oh, if we could just go back and be slaves in Egypt so we could have the variety of a good meal every now and then. Whine, whine, whine. That's all they did so many, so many times in the wilderness. Now I want you to look at verses 10 through 15 of this same chapter, Numbers chapter 11. This reflects what Moses is going through, the leader of God speaking to these two million people. And I think the pressure of ministry had gotten to him, and the pressure of their complaining had just gotten to his soul. But listen to what Moses says to God in Numbers 11. Go to verse 10. Here's the word of God here. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Talking about himself. Why have you afflicted me? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldst say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beneath the sucking child? unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers. Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we might eat. Look at verse 14. Moses, at the breaking point, says, I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, Moses says, Kill me! I pray thee out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. What you're seeing here in Numbers chapter 11 is a leader at the end of his rope. All of these two million people are complaining and fussing, wanting to throw Moses out of office, wanting to stone him, and he just gets to, to the foot of God and says, God, just take my life now. I am just at the end of my rope. I would rather die than do all of this. So even when the leader is questioning God, he's saying the burden is just too heavy on my shoulders, and I'm tired of all these whiners. I wish you'd just take me out of here. So because of all of this lack of faith, because of Israel having no trust in God in the wilderness, God extends their uh, wandering in the wilderness from 11 days to 40 years. 
The Israelites had been in the wilderness with their tabernacle about a year. They come to the very edge of the promised land, right to that place where they could take a step into God's promised land. And God gives Moses a plan. Look at Numbers, turn over to chapter 13, Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3. Numbers 13, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. So basically God says, here's my plan, Moses, and I want you to carry this out. I want you to send some spies into the land of Canaan. Uh, But here's what I want you to understand. I have already given you this land. It is yours. I have deeded it to you. And so the spies are going to go in to, to survey the gift that I've already given to you. And according to Numbers 13, verse 25, they spied out the land of promise, the land of Canaan, for 40 days. Write that down. They spied out the land of Canaan for 40 days. And as the spies come back, there are 12 of them, one from every tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. One man represented every tribe. So there were 12 uh, spies that went into Canaan land to look it over. When they come back after the 40 days of spying out the land, Every one of the ten, or twelve rather, every one of the twelve gives a report about what they saw. Now, ten of them say this. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 through 28. Numbers 13, go to verse 25. So here, all twelve of these men returning from the land of Canaan after they looked it over as a gift of God... And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. So, verse 26, chapter 13. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, here's the uh uh-oh, here's the change of heart. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And so basically what the spies are saying is we went into this beautiful land flowing with fruit, flowing with goodness, a beautiful place, but... The people there are very strong. We're not going to be able to move into that land. In fact, look at chapter 13. Uh, go to the last verse, verse 31. Uh, the, the verse uh, right beyond that where we've been reading. So chapter 13, verse 31. But the, man, the, but the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So ten men out of the 12, said, there's no way we're going into that promised land. It's beautiful, it's fruitful, it's wonderful, but the people there are too strong. We can't go. We can't, we can't take it. We can't have it from the inhabitants that are already there. But two men, two of the spies out of the 12, gave a glowing report. Their names were Joshua 
and Caleb. Very important. Write those two names down, Joshua and Caleb. The two spies going into the promised land for 40 days, they come back with a great report. Here's Caleb's report. Look at Numbers 1330. 1330. And Caleb still the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So Caleb said, let's move on in. It's time. God says it's time for us to go. It is going to be easy for us to take over. Joshua and Caleb say this. Go into the 14th chapter, Numbers 14, 7 through 9. Numbers 14, 7 through 9. Here are the two men, Joshua and Caleb, bringing a good report about their seeing the land. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only, now listen to what they say, Rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So, Two men out of the 12 say, we need to move on in. God has removed their strength. We can easily take over this land. There will be no problem there. Which report wins out? Which report do you think wins out? The negative report of the 10 or the positive report of the 2? Human nature tells us the answer to that. The 10 men went out. The 10 of no faith. The people are big and strong. We cannot take the land And in fact, when Joshua and Caleb give their report, uh, the people react against them. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 10. Numbers 14, verse 10. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. So when Joshua and Caleb gave their good report, let's move into the land, they said, let's kill them. Let's get rid of them. We don't believe their good report. So I'm saying all of that to tell you this. Israel has no faith. Moses is at the end of his rope. He feels ineffective as their leader of over two million people. So what's the cost of this rebellion? What's the cost of this faithfulness as Israel leaving Egypt, sitting in the wilderness, ready to go into the promised land? What's the cost of their disbelief? We'll look at Numbers 14. Write this reference down. Numbers 14, verse 26 through 30. Listen to the word of God. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, Truly, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Now listen, here's what God tells Israel. Your carcass shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. So what God says to the nation of Israel is that this present generation, from 20 years old and up, all of you are going to die here. Not one of you is going to enter into the promised land except two. 
the two who brought back the report of faith, Joshua and Caleb, they will one day go into the promised land. But all the rest of you will not go there. You will die in this wilderness because of your lack of faith. The second generation of Israel will be going into Canaan land, but not this first generation as we're here right now. You will die in the land. Now, why did God choose 40 years for Israel to wander in the wilderness? 40 is a very important number in the Bible. We see 40 days within the flood. We see 40 days of fasting. We see 40 days in so many instances uh, within the Word of God. 40 is a very important number in biblical terms. But why did God choose 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? Here's the answer. Write this down. Numbers 14, verse 34. Numbers 14, verse 34. After the number of days in which ye searched the land... Even 40 days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. So God says, you spied out the land 40 days, you came back in with a faithless report, and so every day is going to equal a year. You're going to wander in this wilderness for 40 years as this first generation of Israel dies out here. What an amazing promise of God. Now, let me take a pause here to say this. This cycle of faith and faithlessness is not limited just to Exodus. It's not limited just to the Israelites. It's not just a fluke of faith, but really this is a human trait. How much negative stuff have you heard in your life? How many times have we had to decide, am I going to make a decision in the negative or am I going to take a step of faith in the positive. We, we still deal with this faith and faithlessness in our own lives, in our own life of faith. We need to choose the positive. We need to choose to believe that God is going to lead us through. You know, faithlessness is a human trait. Faithlessness is a sinful trait. But we know that all of us carry that trait of sin, and we must be careful to keep our eyes on God. And we, we can sometimes be prone to grumbling and murmuring like the Israelites were. Sometimes we can be prone to demanding our own way of God. Sometimes we can be as fickle and disbelieving as the Israelites were. We, we have to look at them and realize that this can be a mirror of us. We're not just studying history, but rather here's the thread again that's running through the Bible. We see the faithlessness and the negativity of Israel, and we say, God, teach us a lesson here that we don't walk in these same tracks. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to, to follow your footprints. Help us to know that you're going to take us to places of victory and provision, and you're never going to leave us alone, and you'll always be the good shepherd. Help, help us not to live this life that Israel lived. In our human nature, we can walk that way very easily, but it's a reminder of God's grace to us. And what's amazing to me in the nature of God, I'm so glad God is God, because God could have in the, the, um, an instant, He could have blipped out all of Israel and all of their whining and all of their faithlessness. He could have taken them off the face of the earth, and yet God allowed them to wander for 40 years, but he never left them alone for one day of that 40 years. He continued to provide for them. 
He continued to love them. Though he was punishing them because of their faithlessness, he never left them alone. He never left them to their own devices, but he took care of them, and he carried them all of those 40 years. He provided for them all of those 40 years out there in the wilderness. He endured their disobedience, but God never left them. You know, that's pretty amazing to me. When we think about God's grace, as much as they grumbled and murmured and complained and were faithless, God never forsook them. He stayed with them every step of their journey. Well, 40 years pass. The first generation of Israel dies out, except for Joshua and Caleb, as according to the promise of God. So the second generation now has grown up into the years that they are going to be the leaders of Israel. And the Israelites come back now to the edge of Canaan land. They're ready to move in. The second generation is ready to take their steps into the promised land of God. Moses is still alive at this point. But will he be able to go into the promised land? Well, if you're a student of God's Word, you know the answer to that. It's no. God denied Moses, the leader of Israel, 40 years. God denied Moses' entry into the promised land. Why is that? Well, it's a very interesting story, and it's one that we need to take note of here. Back in the days of wandering, all the two million people of Israel came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. It's about 60 miles outside of the promised land. I want you to look at Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 through 4. Flip over to Numbers chapter 20, go to verse 2. And here's the circumstance at Kadesh Barnea. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. You remember, that's his brother. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have ye brought us up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? Well, here's the problem. There was no water in that location. So Moses, again, is very frustrated by the whiny nature and the belly aching of the people of Israel. But God gives Moses a plan to provide water for Israel. Look at Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye, underline those words, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. So God gives Moses a plan. He says, gather the people who are so faithless around this rock at Kadesh Barnea. Speak to the rock through the name and the power of God, and water will gush from that rock. But here's what happens. Moses makes a major, major stumble of faith. Look at verses 10 through 12. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, 
Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So at that moment of frustration for Moses, that moment of faithlessness, God says, I'm not going to allow you to take the people into the promised land. Well, you know, I've I've thought of this scene over the years uh, of my life as as a student of the Bible. I remember as a young person thinking about what a trite thing that God denied the leader of 40 years taking the people into the promised land because of this experience with a rock rather than speak to it. He, he, he smote it, he beat it with his rod, and yet that was the move that caused him to not be able to go into the promised land. Although maybe over the years I thought that might be a bit trite, I want you to understand this. Moses, that moment, deeply insulted God. Moses insulted the holiness of God. He, you remember, he, he's... Through this ministry with Israel, he has been frustrated. I can only imagine how frustrated he was in all of their disbelief and all of their denial. But I believe that he carried that all of the time as a burden on his shoulders. And he himself was frustrated as well because of what they were in following him. But when he approached that rock under the will of God, he brought his frustrations there. He brought his failures there. And instead of speaking the will of God as God told him to, he, he carried out his frustration by beating on the rock. It insulted God because Moses did not do God's bidding. He did almost the opposite of what God asked him to do. When he said, speak to the rock, and he beats it with a rod, he is insulting the holiness and the righteousness and the word of God. And so God denies him going into the promised land. But I do want you to remember this. Write this reference down. In Matthew chapter 17, starting with verse 1, moving on forward through that chapter, that's the chapter of Jesus' transfiguration. And if you remember, on a mountain, Jesus and Peter and James and John go there, and in that moment that Jesus is transfigured before them, they see Moses and Elijah There on that mountain. Where's the mountain? Inside of the promised land. Inside of Canaan land. So I want you to understand, Moses did go into the promised land. God allowed him to be there. God allowed him to see it. Now, God allowed Moses to see it from afar, from the edge. But at the moment of the transfiguration, Moses was inside of the promised land. And also... We know by his appearance here that Moses had reached the ultimate promised land. He was a son of God. He is a son of God. We will see Moses one day. Yes, he made a a terrible faux pas, a, a terrible mistake. Instead of speaking to the rock, he beat it in frustration. He insulted God and God's righteousness. But God forgives. And God allowed Moses into the promised land. And God gave Moses the ultimate promised land of heaven. Well, let's move back here now to the Exodus. After 40 years of wandering, 
the Israelites are now standing at the edge of the promised land. And, and Moses at the edge of the promised land, remember, he knows now he's not going in. And so here's what he does. Listen carefully. I'm getting close to the end of my lesson here. So listen carefully to what Moses does. He gives Israel a series of speeches to remind them about the goodness and graciousness and power and will of God as they followed him through the wilderness. So Moses gives them a series of speeches about what God had done for them, and they're right at the edge of Canaan getting ready to go in. He tells them, remember God's goodness. Remember God's grace to you. And also, once you get in there, live by his law, live by his commandments, live by the word of God when you take up residence over there in the promised land. Part of his speeches that he gives to Israel. How many of you know what the book of Deuteronomy is about? You know, I know we often think that uh, the New Testament is the place that we need to go for the reading that we need, but the Old Testament is so rich in God's Word uh, and God's will. But what's Deuteronomy about? Okay, here's what Deuteronomy is. Take note of this. The book of Deuteronomy in your Old Testament is the collection of all of those closing speeches that Moses made to Israel before he died and before they went into the promised land. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. It's a collection of all the speeches that Moses made. In fact, if you would with me, flip over to the book of Deuteronomy, first chapter, first verse. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. And Deuteronomy defines exactly what this book is about. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness. So it defines itself as to what its content is. The collection of all the speeches of Moses, they're coming out of the wilderness, getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses stops them on the line and says, let me tell you what God has done for you and what God will continue to do for you once you get into the promised land. That's what Deuteronomy is about. So the book of Exodus, write this down. This is a very important point in defining how the Bible fits together. That's really what our study is about. How does it fit together? It's not just a collection of separate stories. So write this down. The book of Exodus introduces us to the release of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It also takes them into the wilderness as we see their wilderness wandering beginning. The book of Numbers uh, gives us the factual account of their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So the book of Numbers is all about their 40 years of faithlessness and complaining and whining in the wilderness. It's not pleasure reading, I know, that's true. But that's what the book of Numbers is about, how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And the book of Deuteronomy then gives us Moses' words of direction at the end of that 40 years before they go into the promised land. Again, remember, he's speaking to the second generation because the first generation all died out because of their faithlessness. I hope that helps you grasp a bit of how the Bible fits together. No, it's not always chronological, but God has a reason that it's in the order that it's in. Uh, so those three books lined up tell us exactly how Israel acted in the wilderness how they get to the line of the promised land and Moses' direction as they're getting ready to move inside. I hope you can see a bigger picture of the Bible through that. 
So this account of the Exodus here is a sad reminder that we truly can slow down the will of God. Did you ever think about that? We can slow down the will of God. God has a timing. God has a pathway. God has the footsteps for us. But we can slow him down by our own disobedience, by our own complaining, by our own dragging our feet and negativity in his will. The Lord promised the promised land to his people, but they were faithless in following him and believing in him, and therefore, rather than getting there in 11 days, they waited 40 years. Their faithlessness slowed them down in fulfilling God's will. What a lesson for us tonight. Walking in faith is the key. Following in faith is the key to giving our lives to the Lord. You know, too often, let me put this in terms of me, too often I get caught up in my own weaknesses and my own doubt and sometimes even my own lack of faith. And the Lord sets the steps before me and just asks me to follow Him. And that's what I need to do. That's what all of us need to do. That's what the church needs to do, is to continue to follow Him in every day of our lives. You know, someone once said that the church is never going to follow in faith if we only do what we know we can do. Following in faith means that when God gives us the steps to follow, even when we don't know how we're going to get to that point or how we're going to afford what we're going to do, uh, faith is not true faith until we step out into the unknown because we're following God. It's not about our plan. It's about His plan. It's not about our timing. It's about His timing. It's not about... Uh, deciding if we're going to be faithful or faithless, we're always to keep our eyes on Him. We cannot act in our own strength. There is no faith in that. We step out on the character and the promises of God, and He will take us where we need to go. Even when it seems impossible to us, He will get us where we need to go. That's what Moses tells Israel to do as they get ready to step into the promised land. And before he dies... He hands the leadership of Israel over to a man who was once young as a spy going into Canaan land, but now he is old, and his name is Joshua. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. But as I close tonight, I want to close with a very sweet picture. Moses is one of the greatest uh, characters and one of the greatest personalities of the Bible. So I want to take a moment to read you this last passage of his life. Forty years of his life, he lived leading Israel. It was not easy. It was a burden to him. It drove him to the edge of being able to, to keep control. But he was a man of God, and he continued to follow God. And we want to conclude his life tonight as we conclude this lesson. Uh, look at Deuteronomy, the last chapter, verse, uh, chapter 34. Flip over with me there, Deuteronomy 34, and I want you to just simply look at verses 1 through 7. Listen to these words. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab and to the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead and Dan, and all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah to the utmost sea. And the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, and the city of palm trees unto Zoar. So, in other words, God took Moses to a vantage point and said, Here is the entirety of the promised land. You're not going to walk in it, but I want you to see all of it. 
And the Lord said unto him, This is the land I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, meaning God, and God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. Even though Moses did not walk into the promised land, he died as a son of God, as a man of God, and God showed him the promised land. God is a God of grace. There is one of the threads that runs through the Bible. We see His grace upon the nation of Israel. We see His grace upon Moses. We see His grace expressed as Jesus the Christ comes to the world. And we have felt and experienced His grace when we gave our heart to Him in salvation because of Jesus and the cross, God's grace expressed to us. We will continue on in our study next week. Uh, I know these studies get very involved. In fact, we're coming to some of the hardest study uh, in these next few lessons. You need to be sure you're ready to take some notes with me so we can keep the study flowing and so we can see that thread that runs through the Bible of God's grace through every, uh, through every valley and through every mountaintop of the Bible. God's grace is consistent. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for this night. Father, thank you that Chad and Kenneth are here with me so we could stream this lesson out tonight. I pray your blessing on them, their families. Lord, I pray your blessing on every one of my students here tonight. Thank you that we opened your word, Lord, and that you have spoken to us through it. Uh, Lord, the, the faithlessness of Israel uh, speaks to me, not because I want to criticize them, but, but because I need to use them as a mirror to look at my own life and see if I'm faithless or faithful, if I'm believing, trusting, or not. So, Lord, I pray that you grow our Christian lives, our lives as believers as we study together. Bless us, we pray. Thank you for this church. We're looking forward to the days coming now. Uh, in the first part of June, some of the restrictions are going to be lifted to 50 people, and then when July comes, if nothing changes, we're going to be able to uh, get back to some normal pattern of being a church again. We look forward to that. Bless us, we pray. Thank you for this night that we've opened your word, and we ask you to carry us forward as we are continuing to be your servants in the world. In Jesus' name, amen, and good night.